Happy Halloween! It's time for Animation Celery. It's crunchy conversations about spooky cartoons? Stay put, don't jump. Never fear, creative gust. Wind that's born of upward things. All too soon will downward sing. Messing that up is Micah. And I'm at sea not knowing what that was exactly. Um, this is Animation Celery, and it's a podcast where we talk about cartoons. Specifically, we each give each other cartoons to watch and then reconvene and discuss them. And since this episode's coming out on October 30th, we're getting ready by watching scary cartoons or Halloween episodes. Uh, I'm watching a Halloween episode of Ghostbusters, and I made Micah endure Halloween as Grinch Night. And we'll talk about that in a second, but first I want to see if Micah has anything he wants to talk about. Well, hot off the presses, new to me at least. So you know that there is a platform fighting game uh, for Nickelodeon. Uh, yes. That copies Smash Brothers, and there's other ones too. But but the rumor mill uh, is that Warner Brothers is coming out with one as well, or at yeah. least working on one. Yeah. I I've seen... I've seen YouTube thumbnails implying this. Yes, supposedly uh, insufferable YouTuber and melee uh, player Hungrybox has. I... Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you, when you said insufferable, I was like, oh, is he going to say Hungrybox? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, okay, he's got the worst reaction videos. He's got rea- the, the kind of reaction video I hate. Mm. And you know, his, his thumbnails always have him with his mouth and eyeballs <laughs> wide open. Right? <laughs> he's screaming and yeah, yeah. You know, it makes me want to hit him with a crab. <laughs> you, you, you ever see that? Uh, there was a, the, because he played Jigglypuff and he used a technique called wobbling oh. for melee. It's, it's, it's a technique that's basically it's an infinite, right? Yeah. But it, it takes forever and mm-hmm. crowds hated it. Yeah. So there was one game, one tournament where he popped off after his win. And somebody in the audience threw an actual crab against him. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably seen that video, I imagine, sometime like five years ago. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's going to be... Boy, they sure like pushing this Warnerverse, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's Space Jam 2 or Ready Player One. Mm. Um, now, you know... Supposedly, that's going to include Steven Universe and uh, Finn and and Jake are going to be in this, too, supposedly. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, And then, you know, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. Um, Shaggy is going to be in it. Yeah. And the the rumor is that this game was inspired by the memes about Shaggy reaching Ultra Instinct. Um. There was a, there was like a for the celery stalkers out there, there was a meme born out of Dragon Ball Super Power Rankings about how Shaggy reached Ultra Instinct because in one of the Scooby Doo specials, he's hypnotized into thinking he's a great fighter. <laughs> so now, <laughs> I think personally, I think that J.R.R. Tolkien would hate that Gandalf is going to fight Bugs Bunny. <laughs> he he oh. would just hate it. <laughs> Boy, uh I kind of hate it. Like Yeah. The idea that Lord of the Rings is just now it's just part of this media conglomerate. 
Right. You know, like, mm. I mean, I, mean, I guess st- it's just a <laughs> book realistically, but it's just so influential. Right. And uh, for the longest time, that uh, trademark was held so tightly by the estate holders. Yeah. And now all bets are off, I guess. Yeah, there's a, um, an, uh, I guess it's a Lord of the Rings mobile game. And mm. I would see ads for it on the mobile game that I do play. And it's like this, you know, this lady coming up is like, there's a, a Lord of the Rings game. And her, her man is sitting on a couch and he's like, oh yeah, another knockoff I get. Or I bet. And then she gets a megaphone and she's like, it's officially licensed. <laughs> Is it just like Raid Shadow Legends or something? <laughs> I, probably. I yeah. Do you think I paid attention? I was just like setting it aside while I'm getting my resources and another game boosted. It should be a gotchapon kind of game where you like spend real money to get like Mariador or something out of the gotchapon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I got two old gaffers. If I combine them, I can make Sam. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Have you seen any of that gameplay from the Nickelodeon All-Stars? A little bit. It's a little little spare, you know? Mm. Like, one of the things I think is really weird about it is no items. Well, I I imagine that they're kind of taking their... I, I guess what this is is just the perceived disgruntlement of melee players with smash brothers combined with how hot smash brothers is because of ultimate. And if you look at like high tier or like pro, let's say smash brothers players, they play no final smash, no items, um, a very limited selection of stages. You'll, you'll often hear when they show a new stage, people will immediately comment on whether it is legal or not. Like the, the Sora stage that they just brought out, like, you know, a lot of the reaction videos, like this is Sora stage. And the guys or the, the person who's watching it be like, Oh, it's legal. Like, so the professional smash players like it really bare bones. So I can understand if they're trying to make a new smash brothers for the disgruntled melee generation, I can see why they would just excise everything that real Smash Brothers don't use anyway. I guess. But, you know, I'm not a pro player. Um, And, like, I think I would get kind of bored of this Mm -hmm. game that has no no voices and is just, you know, the matchups would get a little bit stale after a while, I think. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Smash Brothers has, like, 80 characters or something so right yeah yeah and it was always you know it it was just a way to fill up an afternoon and an evening and into the next day basically is what smash brothers was so yeah yeah you know and you and you played those terrible characters and whatever but um, (laughs) yeah i had weird luck with bowser jr who is apparently not a highly regarded character uh, i think he got buffed a bit though yeah maybe also, I'm not good. Ah. Anyway, m- moving on from that thing, um, uh, I spotted a uh, a good cartoon for people to watch for Halloween. Huh? Yeah, it's a Fleischer Studios cartoon called Swing You Sinners. I think I saw that name while I was looking for something for you, but I didn't actually watch it. Yeah, it's not well preserved. So mm. a lot of the audio you'll or at least I was unable to parse what they were saying. Um, 
but you know, it's mostly just a, a thrill ride through ghosts and goblins scaring a uh, dog guy of the era. Mm, you know, kind mm, of a, a yeah. parallel Bosco kind of character. Sure. Or a, uh, a Warner, if you will. Yeah. A, f- a yeah, Fleischer. Yeah. A Fleischer, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, weird, they don't even name them on the cartoon. But, um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I'm in the home stretch for finishing off Star Versus. Uh huh. Star Versus the Forces of Evil, that is. I, yep. I got a bad habit of uh, leaving. Uh, listeners clueless this is what i'm talking about i think um, i i don't know that anybody listening to bit this podcast is gonna go what's he star versus that could be anything <laughs> so i'll say um that the show is greatly improved by more Jana in it <laughs> I, I like that she just shows up at muni too <laughs> oh that's relevant oh is it yeah uh, i won't i, I won't i won't spoil it but like I thought they'd that, just leave it like she has her ways kind of thing. They Well, yeah, and that is fun, um, but they will call back to that. Okay. And the other thing, the other uh, life-sustaining energy from Star is uh, the design of Baby Meteora. She is hmm. so darn cute. <laughs> I love it when she's on screen. I love her baby build. I like her head and her tuft of curly hair. <laughs> she's adorable um i'm trying to think of a way to ask this question without spoiling okay well um i am past the point where glob gore has returned okay um i know about mina's return mina 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 who's mina the, oh yeah 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 the, okay the I remember sailor, now. yeah she's the sailor moon like warrior yes 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 uh voiced yeah. by um uh oh what's her name she was um she was the cat in bojack horseman ah oh somebody famous i can't remember who i want to say amy poehler but it's not her no edit it in (laughs) it was amy sedaris um but uh uh you know i like where it's going i can everybody (laughs) all all articles about star about how it falls apart in this season and I do think it's past its maturation point, but I don't think it's embarrassing itself for the finish by any means. No, it's not bad. Yeah. It's just like three was the pinnacle of that show and right. four is kind of a denouement. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is kind of like a victory lap, right? And you get to see uh, what's happened to various characters. Yeah. The question I guess I was going to ask is, have you seen any other version of Meteora? Uh, just her as in her adult form. So the so you've seen the adult version, which was then degraded into a baby version. Yes. Okay. And I, actually, I was thinking her her previous life, if you will, she was a master of robotics, and hmm. now she's becoming a master of magic. Hmm. So if she can somehow mesh the two, she'll be like Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Star and I, oh, I got one more thing. Yeah, that is oh, it's pretty cute. Actually, I like in my notes for whatever reason. I think this is a case of just uh, misclicking and typing where I didn't mean to. Mm. I have "Oops, Corone" written there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, have you seen Corone play play WarioWare Twisted? Um, I'm not sure. I think I've seen some VTuber of some kind play. Oh, Twisted! Yes, sorry, I was thinking the new one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. So I guess this is, this is for the stalkers mostly. So, uh, Corone, she's a VTuber. 
She's a uh, Japanese gamer who has a computer-generated cute dog girl that uh, stands in for her. So when she does th- stuff in front of her webcam, accordingly, the uh, computer-animated dog girl does stuff. Yeah. And uh, she was going to stream her play of WarioWare Twisted. <laughs> and she didn't realize that to play WarioWare Twisted, a, a uh, Game Boy Advance game, you needed... It had a little sensor inside the cartridge and you needed to twist around the Game Boy Advance. She was going to play it in the adapter for her GameCube. And as a result, uh, she had to hold on to her GameCube and turn that over and over. (laughs) (laughs) So she got a picture of a GameCube and some MS Paint hands on it in front of her image. Yeah. And... It's so funny. <laughs> She's rotating that around. Of course, the graphic doesn't rotate, but you can hear her elbows hitting the table. <laughs> I just picture it in my head. Like, I wish I could see that footage because I'm imagining yeah. what it looks like. Because I own WarioWare Twisted. I know what that yeah. game is. Yeah. Um, and like, it didn't even click until I'm watching it. It's like, oh, I see what she's got to do. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, like her cute dog girl avatar is fun, but I want to see somebody doing that in real life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can only imagine it and listen to her do it. And there's yeah. one point where she must bang the GameCube because <laughs> the ga- the game crashes. And she she has a nervous moment of rebooting and then is relieved to find that it autosaved. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a VTuber named Garagura. Yeah. Um, who is a little shark girl, basically. Oh, okay. Um, I'm enjoying watching her play. She's part of the English branch of the Hololive conglomerate that Corona is part of. Yeah. And I've been watching her play Minecraft. I don't know what it is, but watching people play Minecraft makes me want to play Minecraft. Huh. You know? <laughs> and so I did. Um, I, I, I started up a game and I was like, okay, no fooling around with survival crap. I'm going to start up this game and I'm going to beeline straight to the nearest village and just instead of building my own shelter, I'm going to live there while I build up my own shelter. Mm. And so I launched the game and I spawned in a village. Hey. No lie. It was crazy. So now I have this Minecraft game where I'm building a a hovel for myself at the top of a hill just on the outskirts of a town, which is pretty cool. It's living um, the dream. Yeah. I was watching uh, Gora playing uh, Among Us with yeah. some of her friends, which is it was great because she knew who the imposter was, but no one would believe her. Yeah. And so there's this great moment where she's watching the security camera, because I guess there's a security camera on this map where you can watch another part of the ship. Yeah. And so she saw one of the other people. Um, I think Crow might have been her name, but I'm not sure. And then uh, Crony, not Crone, but Crony. Yeah. And uh, Ina was the imposter she thought and so she's just watching and she sees crow go past and then ina following and she's like oh there goes ina or there goes crony with ina following her well bye crony oh and now here comes (laughs) ina coming back the other way without crony after her hmm and so then she just gets off the camera goes to that section of the ship finds crony's body right calls a meeting explains what happened and everyone's like uh, Ina and Ina's just like, we will destroy you. <laughs> like, just kind of gave up. It's pretty good. 
I've only played I, like two games of Among Us ever. I played so much of it, but I hadn't played it in a year. And I played some recently with mm. Raven and mm. her friends. Mm. It was a little hard because we did it. Uh, we did it over Discord. Yeah. And the names didn't match the people in there. So I could <laughs> never I could never tell who was saying what. Right. Right. But uh, that's a fun game. Actually, the, the other day I uh, bought a little rule notebook that was Among Us branded. So Boy, I'm seeing that stuff everywhere. I'm pretty sure I saw some kind of graffiti that was an Among Us man. And I was like, <laughs> it's um, passe already, huh? Well, nah. I don't know. I mean, maybe because I've only ever played like two games ever with you. Um, oh, yeah. So we should play again. Maybe I'll get addicted to it. I think there was a moment where like I was watching. There's a YouTube channel called Cracking the Cryptic, which is yeah. these British British guys solving Sudoku puzzles. <laughs> OK. And so he's looking at this thing and he's and there was a moment where he's like, hmm, this six is a little sus. And I'm like, oh, yeah. man, <laughs> this is where we <laughs> are. Huh? I played it so much at its best. It's great. Mm hmm. But it's so trolly. Yeah. You know, and you can't guarantee that you're not going to play with people to spoil the game. Or you can't guarantee... Like, I played it enough that I could tell when people were cheating, even though, of course, I didn't have proof, right? <laughs> but, you know, you could just... You could read the signs, right? That these guys are clearly giving each other information. Yeah. Because you'd press them. Like, how'd you know that, right? Anyway. We should play sometime. Yeah. All right. So what's, what, what else is going on, Matsy? Not a lot. I... <laughs> I've been so busy with work this week that it was like three days ago. I kind of went, oh, I don't have anything to talk about on the podcast. I should fix that. And then I didn't. Um, <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about the new content coming to Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah. Next. Actually, wait, so it's 30th. Yeah. Next Friday when this comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Harriet, my my dog waifu. Everyone loves Isabel and I love Isabel. But Harriet is where the real money is. And I'm glad to see that she's back and she's a cool hippie now. Oh. And my so I was thinking what I wanted from a paid expansion for Animal Crossing was Cap'n to show up on your pier and take you to at least one island. Nintendo has had a habit of making expansions in two packs lately where it's mm -hmm. like there's two separate paid expansions, but you have to buy them both. Yeah, it's like board games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was I was thinking like maybe they could have like one expansion that's a tropical island and one expansion that's an Arctic island and you'd have like new fruits and like these new sets of villagers <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Um and what they've actually done for anyone who doesn't know is they've just put Cap'n taking you to mystery islands with different um climates for free. Yeah. And the paid DLC is a new version of the 3DS game Happy Home Designer, which is all about building houses for the people, for the animals. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah, it's I like, like the way, I like the perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's like the, um, the example they gave in the video was like, this is Maple, she likes bears, she wants a house with lots of bears. So it's, the idea is it's vacation homes. And okay. so... You'll go and you'll meet these people and they're like, OK, Maple wants a house full of bears. And so you build this little house full of bears and a yard like there's an it's an archipelago of various islands. So you like you pick the right spot and pick their house and just design it perfectly. Just make the perfect house for the person. Um, and it has additional uh, home development stuff like you can put in partition walls and counters and things. And by doing this in the expansion, 
you can carry that over onto your main island and do that in your own house. And it teases that eventually you'll be able to also remodel your villagers' houses, which yeah, is crazy. Great. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to play. I've started. Pl- I I stopped playing Animal Crossing like late May, I think, and I've started playing again because I'm looking forward to it. I I am happy to. I'm sad to report that I let Renee move away. Hmm. But I am happy to report that I replaced her with Anka. Which is Anka? Anka is the Egyptian cat who is part of a oh. lewd meme right now. <laughs> yes. Why'd I ask? Yeah. <laughs> I guess and I guess I could call. I was going to, to these islands <laughs> and I just kept getting all the cranky villagers like Octavian and Elvis and um, uh, 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 all, all of them. Like I was like, there's just cranky after cranky. And finally, on island number 11, it was Anka. And I was like, okay, I've already got two snooties, but I can't give up Anka. Yes. So now you I'm going to get a second chance with Anka. So now I'm going to try to force out Matilda. I might, uh, <laughs> I'm, I've got some, um, some of the series five amiibo cards pre-ordered. So I'll see if I can amiibo in a replacement for Matilda. I really want Ioni, the, uh, star-tailed squirrel. Hopefully, oh yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I get, I know her. you're talking about, yeah. and I, I looked up Harriet. Yeah. I, of course I recognize Harriet. Yeah, she's um, the she runs. People tend to call her Shampoodle because that's the name of yeah. her store, but no, her name mm. is Harriet. Get it, hair. She deals with hair. It's Harriet. You know, when you mentioned that the new content included new fruits, um, <laughs> that made me rem- jog my memory. You know, who Tommy Tellerico is. Oh gosh, that name sounds really familiar, but I can't remember it, who he is. Uh, Judgment Day reviews on the run as a local show, a Vancouver show with a. Uh, uh, Oh, shoot. And I'm blanking on the Victor's last name. Victor. Um, well, anyway, Victor and Tommy, they they reviewed video games. Mm-hmm. And eventually Tommy moved on and focused on doing like uh, music shows because he was in the business, too. He, he did like music for video games. OK, yeah. Anyway, so they they have personalities that offset each other. Right. That Victor's generally pretty positive And Tommy's kind of a troublemaker, you know, like you and me. Yeah. Um, so uh, Tommy. uh Mostly he wants to like play games that take him on adventures and or, you know, where he's blowing up robots or shooting down ships or something. Right. Yeah. So he is not enthused to um, review a Harvest Moon game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he's, he's got a bad attitude at the start of the review. And he's saying that uh, this new Harvest Moon has many, many new seeds, new seeds. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> by the end, they're listing like pros and cons, right? Yeah. And Victor's doing the pros of the game. You know, the, the, it's got a bright visual appeal and there's lots of uh, interesting things to do, right? Yeah. And uh, Tommy's <laughs> negative on the game was, um, there might be some new seeds, but I could have done with more seeds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the record, there are, as far as I know, no new fruits in the Animal Crossing expansion. Oh, didn't you say there's new fruits? Well, no, I said that's what I wanted. Oh, I wanted okay. like new fruits on the islands. However, there is farming. Ah. So there are, well, so they've said they have said that there is uh, wheat, tomatoes, carrots, potatoes, sugarcane, and they said and more. <laughs> yeah. And you can use this to cook meals. So maybe there are new fruits. The previous Animal Crossing game had a tropical island where there was like durians and um I Ooh. think I think like 
I think there was persimmons, maybe bananas. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it kind of broke the economy of the game because they were so valuable. It was just you could oh. fly over. You could just go over to that island, pick all the fruits, come back and make like hundreds of thousands of bells. You ever uh, eat a durian? No. Oh, man. It's like <laughs> eating rotten garlic. <laughs> um, no lie. One yeah. of the episodes of The Ghost and Molly McGee that yeah. I watched, uh, their grandma, Nin, who is Thai, comes to visit. Yeah. And she brings the husband as a gift, a durian. And so there's this side plot of the husband and son, like upping the stakes to get each other to try eating the durian. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. People say that it tastes like candy or that it's textures like candy bar nugget. Hmm. I don't know. Forget the texture, the smell and the taste. <laughs> They'll destroy. Like <laughs> Mario has a bit where he in uh, uh, Sunshine, where he's got to kick durians across the canal. <laughs> I would never risk it. I would never risk destroying my shoe. You know? <laughs> I've always heard that they smell terrible, but taste pretty good. I guess it depends on who you are. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. To less scary things than durians. Okay. <laughs> you gave me to review Halloween is Grinch night. Mm -hmm. By the way, Directed I will, I will just say real quickly. I, I recommended this site unseen. Oh, yeah. And only watched it like an hour ago as we record this. Oh, well, it's fresh for you then. It is fresh for me. Uh, it's directed by Gerard Baldwin, and it's from 1977, my birth year. Ah. Okay, so I, th I think this is a case where I don't have to explain who the Grinch is and who Dr. Seuss is. No, I mean, you would probably have to re-explain it after somebody watched this. Huh. Okay. Uh, the, the, Dr. Seuss made children's books that were, uh, surreal, maybe even psychedelic. And one of his most popular properties was the Grinch who stole Christmas. The Grinch is a, uh, sort of a boogeyman who lives on Mount Crumpet and terrorizes the who's who live down in Whoville. They're just kind of people, but you know, yeah. through the lens of Dr. Seuss's weirdness. Right. So... The infinitely more famous The Grinch Who Stole Christmas involves the Grinch stealing all the trappings of Christmas, all the presents and, and celebratory stuff and feasts and whatever. But he's unable to diminish the spirit of the Who's and the true meaning of Christmas. And it invades his heart and he has a, a reckoning and becomes good, becomes friendly with the Who's. Yeah. This, I read at least, this is a prequel to that. Yeah, and that makes no sense for reasons that I'm sure you'll get into. Yes. Okay, so in the story, it seemed that it was the end of an idyllic day in Whoville. But as the sun set, Josiah and Mariah smell the sour sweet aroma on the wind. And that heralds the coming of Grinch night. Accordingly, they call in all their grandchildren. Accordingly, all the Who's of town lock and shutter themselves into their homes. And there's a goose reminiscent of the goose who dreams of moose juice that leads its goslings into shelter. And, uh, holy smokes, 
the sound of the complaints of the who child that's taken from the slide. <laughs> you saw that just recently. <laughs> I, I noted that and I was like, oh, yeah. that's kind of a weird thing. And I'm I'm <laughs> I'm delighted that you specifically pointed it out. Yeah. Um, then we have a short song by Josiah that warns us that it's Grinch night. That sour, sweet wind riles the gree grumps from their trees and in turn the hack and cracks from the lake. Then all that howling and growling stirs up the Grinch because, at least, at least this much is consistent, he hates noise. <laughs> and all these unsettling events are the perfect uh, atmosphere for a Grinch night. And when the Grinch starts off his song, he goes, Hmm, it's a wonderful night for eyebrows. <laughs> and... I've got some serious eyebrows, so that's sounds like it's pretty good news for me. Just so people can picture this properly, it might be worth mentioning that the Grinch in this case is voiced by Hans Conried, the mm. the wonderful uh, actor who is probably best known for voicing Captain Hook in Disney's Peter Pan. He doing the Grinch here. He kind of sounds like uh, Rene Auberjonois. Time traveled back to then, but. <clears throat> to do it. Like he probably would have been a, a boy at the time, I guess. Anyway, uh in recognition of the spookiness of the night, the Grinch tasks his poor dog Max with fetching the paraphernalia wagon. I like that. I like that there yes. is a paraphernalia wagon. Yeah. Um meanwhile, in the Aya house household, young Eucariah suggests that they call the Grinch alarm warden to see if the Grinch really is coming. Indeed, the warden, through his telescope, spies the approach of the Grinch. Max the dog gets some personification then, as he internally has a woe-is-me song while he pulls the wagon of horrors with the Grinch aboard. And I'll note here that decades before Beauty and the Beast, we have here a song about the Grinch where he uses the word expectorate. Yeah. Yeah. So after hearing the play-by-play -play of the last Woozy Wazoo escaping being hunted by the Grinch, young Eucariah declares that he needs to visit the euphemism. And yeah. I'll spell it out. Yeah, he means he needs to go to the crapper. Yeah, um, there are very few things about this cartoon that I like, but one of them, <laughs> I, one of them that I noted right away was I like that it is canonically just called a euphemism. You know, that seems to fit in Dr. Seuss's world. Hmm. Wow, I'm surprised you don't like this. <laughs> I would have thought this would have been up your alley. Um, uh, anyway, on his way to the outhouse, the strong winds carry the Who boy away up to Mount Crumpet. There he meets the dog, Max, and his wicked owner, the Grinch. But funny enough, the Grinch only proclaims his evil, but moves on from Eucariah, apparently having bigger fish to fry. And you can tell that the Grinch is evil because he says, Actung! <laughs> and German, German is the language of the devil, right? <laughs> so, yeah, Ukariah. take that Fritz Freeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ukariah uh, sleds ahead of the Grinch on the mountain pass to stall him. And he asks to be scared some more. He is resisted again, but the boy sleds ahead again, finally earning a first class scaring. He is invited aboard the wagon to witness the horrors that lie within. 
Unleashed is an acid trip of nightmares that outdoes Dumbo's elephants on parade <laughs> and Winnie the Pooh's elephants and woozles. Heffalumps and woozles. Oh, sorry. Heffalumps. Yes. Um, my favorite uh, bit of that. This, it's really long. This this series of, of horrors that the boy endures. Yeah. It's almost like the last half of the cartoon. Yeah. I like one that's just two frames of animation of the bird monster and then the bird monster freaking out. <laughs> um. So the brave lad comes out of the hellish crucible, having endured until the sour sweet wind has died down. And acceding to his own lore, the Grinch stops prowling. But as his slave dog Max abandons him to join Eucariah, the green meanie has to pull the wagon up Mount Crumpet himself and vows to return on the night with a sour sweet wind. Um, this is a straight up hero tale that... <laughs> That Eucariah puts himself through hell in order to stall the Grinch. Yeah. He takes a big old sacrifice. He, although he doesn't really seem to care. Like he's, he is not scared at all. He's just kind of observing in bewilderment. Now, I will say that it is <laughs> that trip through the paraphernalia wagon is another yeah. thing that I liked. Like it's so not Dr. Seuss because a lot of this... A lot of this really does look like Dr. Seuss's illustrations kind of through yeah. a, I mean, it's a De Patty Freeling production, which is to say the Pink Panther. And yeah, I, could, well, I and Looney Tunes in the seventies and eighties. Yes. And I really got, uh, before I even knew that that's what it was, I kind of got a, a Pink Panther ish. It was like if Pink Panther used more colors, like if it was less mm. minimalist in its backgrounds, it might look like this. But also it still looks like Dr. Seuss for the most part, except for this part in the wagon. There are bits of Dr. Seuss in there, but it has this whole other style that's, you know, for for Halloween horror, it's actually pretty good. Like, yeah, well, I, that's why I thought you'd like this. Well, I like that part of way it. Way into that part. Yeah. I, I, and I am. I liked that yeah. part a lot. I liked that, you know, there's all kinds of weird creatures that are like, colored pieces separate from each other or connected only by sharp, like black tentacly lines and things. It, it's hard to describe, but it's really interesting. And like I said, it's, it's pretty good Halloween horror, just kind of in a weird place in the rest of it. Yeah. And as you mentioned this, like the Patty Freeling production, if you know it, you can see it. But as you say, more than Gerald McBoing Boing and certainly more than The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, this really looks like Dr. Seuss. More than uh, Return to the Planet of the Apes, which is another thing they made. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like he, uh, uh, Ted Geisel, that's his name, right? He, yeah. he produced this. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, th I, I think he had his hands pretty, uh, pretty uh, tight on this production. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, he wrote it. Like, and he right. wrote the songs, too, I guess, because it says lyrics by Dr. Seuss at the end. Yeah, um, and that's a mixed bag. Um, like, not I think, all the songs are that great. I think it's a little worse than a mixed bag. It's kind of like, do you remember when I watched the Steven Universe movie, I said there were so many songs that they all just blur together and become meaningless? It's right. the same with this. Like, it's just oh, yeah, yeah. constant, short, meaningless songs. And the other thing is, the rhyme scheme, like, Dr. Seuss has a, a rhyme scheme. You know, when you're listening to Dr. Seuss, like think about right. the Grinch stole, how the Grinch stole Christmas, like, mm -hmm. you know, every who down in Whoville, like Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just North of 
Whoville did not. Like, this, the rhyme, it does rhyme in places, but it's spoken so conversationally that you almost don't spot the rhymes a lot of the time. There are parts when the Grinch and Eukariah are talking mm. that I actually forgot that Dr. S- that this was a Dr. Seuss cartoon and it should probably rhyme because if there were rhymes, I couldn't pick up the rhythm. And if there weren't rhymes, then it's just conversation. That's mm. what's really weird. I mean, that was one of the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like that it's, it's not, you know, Dr. Seuss wrote it, but like it's, it doesn't have that distinct rhythm of a Dr. Seuss story. Right. Well, you know, I, I think it's a little bit out of his reach, you know, mm. that I think as far as, you know, one fish, two fish, he's good as far as that, but maybe, maybe doing all the songs in an animation special are a little bit beyond his capabilities, you know? Yeah. Um, Dr. Seuss wrote one movie. Like, you know, most, mostly, um, right. Most, mostly Dr. Seuss, um, things are adapted from the books. Like he writes the books first and then somebody decides they want to make us TV special out of the book. Yeah. So there are very few instances where Dr. Seuss actually wrote something specifically to be a show. He did a movie called, uh, I think it's the 10,000 fingers of Dr. T. The coworker who pushed mighty heroes on me. Mm -hmm. He always pushes that movie on me too. (laughs) My dad, (laughs) my dad remembers seeing that movie on TV or something as a kid and it scared the hell out of him. Uh, Stars hand Conrad, by the way. Okay. It's, um, it was the only movie that Dr. Seuss ever wrote and it did so poorly. And he was so disenfranchised with it that he never did another one. It was some dream sequence about some kid having a nightmare about his evil uh, piano teacher who was trying to write a song so amazingly complex that he needed uh, like a thousand children to all be playing the piano at the same time, which is why it's the Mm. 10,000 fingers. So did you read a lot of Dr. Seuss? Um, there are definitely holes in my, um, repertoire, but like, you know, I had, yeah. I, I distinctly remember, I think my parents might tell you that the first book that I ever read on my own was to think that I saw it on Mulberry street, but I'm not sure. Okay. I know I have memories of that book. I just don't know if that is specifically what it, you know, that it's that specific historic moment in my life, but I've read, you know, obviously how the Grinch stole Christmas, one fish, two fish right. and such. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I I read, I think, those and uh, Green Eggs and Ham. Oh, yeah. Green Eggs and Ham. Sure. There, there was an instance uh, in this decade, and I don't remember it exactly perfectly, but I think I was at somebody's house and I was bored and I just like picked a Dr. Seuss book off their shelf. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, the places you'll go. Oh, right. Yeah. And <laughs> the bit about the hack and cracks howling really stuck with me Mm. Uh, because I guess the name is so good. Hack and crack. Yeah. Um, It's like a Finnish monster, except the, the monster itself is more like a Chinese monster. I think (laughs) it's like a, like this really long necks. Maybe they're just eel shaped that come out of the, out of the lake and have human like, or at least for Dr. Seuss, human like faces that howl Mm. that they're just grumpy eels that come up. 
I don't know. I really like that. And I, uh, I conflated it. I thought that it was directly this story. Mm. And so I, I was looking forward to them and I was rewarded. I got the Greek grumps <laughs> and then the hack and cracks. Um, the, I guess it kind of is. Yeah. Um, I got one, one character design note for, uh, Eukariah mm-hmm. is that most of the time, and it's almost disappointing that it's not all the time, when he's at three quarter turn, the far arm of his glasses sticks out from his head <laughs> like Sherman from Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Yeah. <laughs> that is kind of cute. Yeah. Let me see. What do I have to say about this? Um, I was convinced that, what was the, the grandpa Jebediah? Oh, Josiah. Josiah. I was convinced that he was voiced by Ed Asner. Oh. But it wasn't. As Hal Smith. Yeah. One of the voices of Goofy, as I think uh, we've noted in prior episodes. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, I just spent the man. whole thing thinking, oh, man, Hans Conrad got top billing and Ed Asner, I guess, wasn't big enough to be worth anything at this point. And then I saw the credits. Like, oh, it wasn't him. There was a lot of that, like I said, for me. Like I said, <laughs> the one would seem like Rene Auberjonois, but he would have been <laughs> old enough to have that kind of voice. Yeah, yeah. So you did not like it. I liked it okay. And, you know, I don't remember watching this except for his eyebrows starting to fly at the beginning of two songs. Something about that strikes something like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. The one thing that I remember about it, which is another thing that I like, you know, I keep saying all these things that I like about it and then try to say I didn't like it, but I'm just yeah, negative Nelly. Yeah. yeah. But um, something that I like is this song where the where Josiah is worried about Grinch Knight. And he, there's a recurring theme where he says that he wouldn't go out on a night like this for a dollar and 50 cents. And then it, the, the amount escalates, but it escalates slowly. It's like, I wouldn't go out on a night like this for two dollars and 50 cents. And for some reason, that stuck in my head. Like, that was the only thing in this whole thing that I actually recognized. But I recognized it uh. so sharply. I guess because it's such a... I like understatement like that for comedic intent. Like, you know, it was like, oh, a dollar and 50 cents. What a yeah. what a king's ransom. But it goes up. Not to like, even. It, not even for that. But it goes up. It's like it ends up at like 66 million dollars and an extra 60 cents or something like that. Oh, you remind me. We're talking about the plot of this thing. You remind me you mentioned the. Uh how this canonically doesn't work because mm-hmm. Max, Max abandons the Grinch at the end, Yeah, but he's back with them. I don't think of this, like, it just seems to me like a parallel kind of story with the Grinch as an idea, but not like a consistent story the, uh, element. <laughs> it's like, um, but it's like the nightmare before Christmas, how there's these different worlds for different holidays. And this is the Halloween Grinch. Right. And you know, the funny thing about this Grinch is in the Christmas one, all I really get from him is his he's dangerous because he's malicious, right? Or, or maybe he's like three times as strong as the average who or something. He's, right? he's just kind of a grump. Um, like he doesn't yeah. he doesn't have any villainous intent for the sake of being villainous. It's like this specific thing bothers him every year so much. He's like, oh, these neighbors playing their stereos. I'm going to go steal their stereo and throw it in the road. But That's I, w- the I always thought... I always thought his magical powers were just artistic license <laughs> for the for telling a story through song. Mm. You know that he slithers around like a snake and does all these things. <laughs> but in uh, Halloween night, he actually does seem to have magic powers, or at least and then, at least his his wagon does. 
I mean, he does. Well, there's a part at the it, beginning where he like shrinks really small and then grows really tall. But I kind of thought that I just kind of accepted that as like, you know, just a non-canonical depiction for the sake of the song. Same thing with making his eyebrows fly around and harass Eucharia. Uh, well, now that you mention it, that is kind of weird. Maybe he yeah. does. Yeah. OK, maybe the Halloween Halloween town Grinch um, does have magic powers. Hey. And the Christmas yeah, town yeah. Grinch is just a grump who throws stereos around and uh, <laughs> and gets super strength when he has to rescue the stereo. Yes. It's <laughs> pissed off about tap tinglers. <laughs> um, OK, so so good point about it being uh, sort of an alternate take on the same property. Mm. I think we have another one of those, though. Well, kind of. Um, yeah. We have... Another episode of the real Ghostbusters. This one's called Knock Knock. It's the good one that you uh, specifically pointed out last time we talked about Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, And it's only a few episodes later in the same season as the previous episode, The Revenge of Murray the Mantis. Mm -hmm. Um, So just real quick, Ghostbusters are some guys that run around New York and catch ghosts. Okay. So this is what this episode is. Knock Knock is called. And the it goes like this. The Busters are wrapping up a job at the bowling alley and are exhausted from their hard work. The interesting thing that I got from this is when they get back to the firehouse, they kind of explain Slimer's reason for being where they're like, he's the only ghost that'll stay still long enough to let him study them. Well, you said this was a few episodes after Murray the Mantis. Yeah. But there's speculation that this is a season one episode that got delayed till season two. Mm. So you see that a lot in here where they're like establishing characters and stuff. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is it's, you know, Peter is like angry at Slimer and he wants to blast him. But they're like, no, not yet. And I <laughs> as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yet. So like the eventual <laughs> yeah. plan is to shove Slimer in the <laughs> containment unit. That's it for you. (laughs) Well, we've got all we can out of you. Anyway, so that's going on. And meanwhile, some workers are drilling underground to make a new section of subway when they come across a scary door with a demonic face and arcane writings. The door ominously says, do not open until doomsday. Um, Interesting thing here. He's not credited in the credits. And I was ready to give him credit for branching out in his vocal um, range because the laugh of this door is distinctly Jim Cummings. But Ah. but the rest of his voice kind of isn't. And Jim Cummings names is not in the credits. So I have a question mark there because, boy, that really sounds like Jim Cummings laughing. Was he acting yet, though? 1986? He must have yeah. been. He must have been. Yeah. I mean, this is... I mean, Gummy Bears was around, right? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. So the head worker insists that they keep drilling. And that causes the door to open, even though they haven't actually touched it yet. I'm really not kind of unclear about that, but... I, I guess intent is enough for that door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also like the chutzpah of those New Yorkers. <laughs> hey, we got a subway tunnel to dig. We ain't going to stop just because some nut door says so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, New Yorkers in the 80s. 
So, yeah, the um, the door opens and the area around it is transformed into this weird, ornate hall and mystic energies are sent down the subway tracks. The magic hits a subway train, which causes the graffiti all over it to come to life as a batch of cartoonish ghosts with really cartoonish sound effects. I thought this was going to be more of a thing in this episode, but Mm. it kind of wasn't. I mean, the fact that they are they exist is but like I thought it was going to be a more cartoonish thing. The train itself also comes to life with a face that looks like Mother Brain from uh, Captain N, the Game Master. In my opinion, Mm. Um, and it speeds off out of control, packed with passengers. And of course, the Ghostbusters are called to the scene. (laughs) They find that the subway station itself seems to be turning evil. And when the empty train pulls up, empty, not packed with people and covered in graffiti, the graffiti has not jumped off and turned into ghosts. Hmm. They enter that train, not realizing that the train itself is a monster. Egon's readings suggest that the center of the disturbance is 10 miles away. Makes me wonder why they were called to this subway station. Oh, you couldn't tell from above ground, right? I guess. Well, I guess the other thing that I was like, because it shows the subway station and then it goes to workers drilling. And I thought they wouldn't be drilling that close to an active subway line, would they? So I guess we can assume that the drill was 10 miles away. Okay. Okay. Anyway, this train will come in handy because they have such a long way to go. But then suddenly the train is filled with skeletal passengers. The Ghostbusters start blasting their proton packs, and while they do, the train just runs wildly. It even leaps above ground and back down like a dolphin in water. The train hurdles along a roller coaster like track for a long time. It's over a minute. I mean, in our time. I think it's mm. a couple of hours in, in uh, cartoon time. No, no, it's 10, 10 miles, right? Yeah, but they say there's a point where they're... Um, there's a news report that says like the Ghostbusters entered this subway station two hours ago. Oh yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, the Ghostbusters are blasting the undead passengers out of the car so that by the time the train finally stops at a station, uh, it's empty and the monster train is so beat up that it just collapses into nothing when (laughs) the Ghostbusters disembark. And on the platform, they are surprised and in, the lecherous Peter's case delighted to see a woman waiting. But Peter's delight fades pretty quickly when she turns and reveals her evil skeletal face. She grows into a huge beast and then explodes with a cartoonish (laughs) noise. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. It's it's very Ghostbusters though, right? That's, that's not a lady. Ah, the sound effects in this are like I noticed when they were sliding down the um yeah yeah, it, yeah. it's like this like spaceship doors opening noise yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the Enterprise uh, doors yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like a <laughs> yeah anyway so after the woman explodes uh well he's backing away Winston trips over a stone slab jutting from the ground the slab is covered with Sumerian writing which Egon. Egon can read and he's really indignant about just how he can read. He's like, I could read it in my sleep upside down. Egon is kind (laughs) of weirdly badass in this episode. 
Yes. I love that. That's such a great line. Of course I can read Sumerian. Yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't even say, he's like, in my sleep. Yes. Um, Upside down and in the underwater and in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He shouts a lot, too. Like, this is the most um, emotional I think I've ever seen Egon in cartoon or movie form. Mm. Um, Boy, I wonder what that slime in Ghostbusters 2 would think of this Egon. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. So I'd probably be hot for him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so according to the Sumerian slab, there is a door to the hilariously named nether regions, <laughs> which wasn't supposed to be opened until the end of the world. But somebody opened it early and now evil energy is spilling out into the world, threatening to corrupt everything. They kind of take a long time to explain this. Hmm. So the Ghostbusters venture down the tunnel into the corrupted apocalypse that the entire world will become unless they do something. They see a boat made of bones being rowed down the river by what looked like enslaved living people. And it made me think about the passengers that were on that first train. Yes. But we, but we, we never actually revisit this point. Yeah. I love that. They just blow it off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you see what I just saw? Nope. Neither did I. (laughs) Ignore these people in chains being whipped to to row by skeletons. Anyway, there's a brief interlude that shows that ghosts and subway trains are corrupted and causing some limited chaos all around the city. And the news wonders what's become of the Ghostbusters. What has become of them is that the guys eventually find a skull-shaped opening where a spooky tree tells them in uh, Frank Welker's best... I don't know, inhaling voice. Yeah, (laughs) I I can't do it, but it's the place of lost souls, the place of lost souls. And no living people have ever returned from it. You know, I I went back to check the name of this as I was writing Mm -hmm. it down. It's like, it's the what of lost souls? Oh, place. Place always seems like such a bland name for something. Like, right. like here in Canada, when there's an election, the place where we go to vote is literally called the voting place. And I always think <laughs> like it should be like the polling station or voting, you know, something. But like voting place is just I mean, that's what it is. But it's just so plain. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing here. It's the place of lost souls. Yeah. Anyway, they still venture forth through flocks of ghosts and weird Euclidean geometry and Escher Uh, ramps and eventually they reach the core of the chaos and now Egon explains the plan that he's devised which is they will use the core as kind of a booster for their proton packs which will hopefully make the beam strong enough to suck back all the poltergeist energy that was unleashed when the door was opened but of course it comes with a risk that they could be trapped forever in the nether regions (laughs) (laughs) If they're still inside when the door closes, they spend a long time. I think it's over two minutes um, explaining this plan and then doing like Bill Murray quips about it. And that's kind of because the actual execution of the plan is not very exciting. They fire their beams into the core and the boosted beams suck back all the poltergeist energy. No poltergeist energy that was unleashed when the door was opened. Yeah. But they managed to add some tension. Uh, te- I cannot talk. Oh, my God. 
poltergeist energy is all over me. Yeah, yeah I kind I kind of wondered about this because I didn't remember exactly what they did when they got in there to the energy source. Mm. And they said they were going to tap into the power of the orb. I think this is probably left up to the interpretation of the animators. Well, like, I don't know. They just do, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I guess they shoot. I guess they shoot into it, and then those beams go outward and get all the ghosts. Yeah. So the tension is that the Ghostbusters start to kind of float into the air and get sucked into the core as well as the door begins to close. So they got to get out. And in one desperate shot to save themselves, they fire their proton beams while they're floating like thrusters on a spaceman and push themselves back through the door just as it closes. And everything is back to normal. Very normal. As back at the firehouse, Peter is enraged to find that Slimer has eaten all their food. He professes how much he hates Slimer, but the guys kind of remind him Slimer's living with a bunch of people who catch ghosts for a living. And so that night, he secretly feeds the green ghost a mini pizza to see us out because Peter's got a soft side for Slimer. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. I the big question that I have from this is if they sucked all the energy back through that door with supercharged proton beams. Would that not have got every other ghost in the city as well? Hmm. I guess it only linked, like, <laughs> there's a specific link between the uh, nether region and the stuff that comes directly from it, I guess. I guess, yeah. Or maybe it did, but, you know, uh, it's like how uh, liquor is a business that's always reliable. People buy all the time and there's more ghosts. I guess one thing. Is that I guess New York occultists just really like to import evil Sumerian spirits, for one. I mean, New York is, it's, I, I might have commented on this before, but like, it's weird how New York is like the center of all ghost activity in this universe. Right, you know, like that, that tower was the, the source of the destroyer of worlds in the movie. The, but it doesn't even have a thousand years of history yeah. of, of major civilization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I said that I, th I felt that the real Ghostbusters, at least not uh, the weekday ones, not the Saturday morning ones, but they really feel like role playing games. To mm. me. Don't you get that kind of sense here or two? I can sort of see that, like with the the long stretches of like explaining things and dialogue, like just these points where the players are sitting and talking about their, you know, talking about their plan without regard for how long it's actually taking in real time. Well, also, they just have a whole bunch of different encounters. Yeah, right? true. They, they, they board the train. They have a shootout with the skeletons. Then they have kind of a weird encounter where they uh, <laughs> they talk to that exploding ghost. Yep. And th then they see the boat of thing of uh, slaves go by and they talk to a tree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they're in this, earlier they interact with a tablet. They're, and, in, yeah. they're in this cave where a bunch of eyes show up, which are presumably monsters. But then they just run away and the monsters don't chase them. Yeah, and then they, they split onto different paths and walk, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, an MC Escher kind of thing. They have a cave of darkness that they go into and then, you know, run away from more monsters. It's, it feels like, wow, there's they go through a lot of encounters. And I think this just might be my pet theory. This is written by J. Michael Straczynski. This is like him with his two hats as a role-playing game nerd <laughs> and a filmmaker because a lot of this too – like, this script is super taxing when you think about it, right? Like, then they have a shootout with a bunch of skeletons in, in a train. Is there any dialogue during that part? 
not much, but it still makes it in here, you know? Yeah. But there's all, well, all this. There's other yeah. points where there's lots of dialogue. And like, like I said, like there's, sure. you know, when Egon's explaining his plan, like there's lots of time for Peter to be Bill Murray and. Oh, yeah. Them to like. Yeah, it's. It's, it's definitely got a filmmaker's touch. I think mm-hmm. the, the script of this. See, the thing is. I can complain about the pacing of this, like the long stretch of time they spend on the roller coaster subway and the long stretches of time they spend explaining their plans and stuff. But at Mm. the same time, overall, like the idea of Ghostbusters is so strong Mm. that it just like you don't really. I mean, I do because I'm watching this one episode in a vacuum with the express purpose of reviewing it later. But if I was just watching, you know, 60 episodes or however many there are of this, just one every weekday just for the adventure of it. Yeah. That's a good time, you know? Like, just turn off your brain and not think about it and just like, these Ghostbusters are going to bust these ghosts, man. Especially where I can pick and choose. Mm. Because some episodes are better than others, and I just keep seeing episodes like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, there's a couple of episodes that, like, I don't know how good or bad they are, but, like, they they stick out in my mind. Like, there's one episode where they're in some kind of haunted candy factory or something, and they end up getting coated in this, like, red tar. I was going to say, Doctor, Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great episode. Well animated, too. Yeah. There's one where... And they... There's, <laughs> yeah, there's one where Egon dies... And it's his ghost. Um, that's that's a memorable one. What were you going to say about the doctor doctor? Oh, and they uh, when like Ray screams and he ca- everybody goes over and he says, guys, you don't want to see this. And he like opens up his robe and he's got a uh, an eye on his chest. <laughs> they each have like a facial feature on their chest. <laughs> but yeah, so many good episodes. Um, another one that I, 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 I've watched quite a few of these, actually, because it's just, you know. They're like candy, right? It's just like like uh, the New Jersey parallelogram. <laughs> I like that one, too. <laughs> it's it's like uh, the Bermuda Triangle, except it's where ships disappear in uh, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're all available for free on ctv.ca. Yeah, except to me, apparently. <laughs> I, I haven't tried it. I haven't tried again, yeah. but I couldn't make it work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I... I I love these guys. I love these interpretations of the Ghostbusters. Uh, I, that are- it still bugs me, Egon's ridiculous hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, it, sure. It bugs me how much they pull back on his hair in uh, uh, Ghostbusters Extreme. <laughs> he's got such conventional hair there. Well, he's much older. That's right. He, he's less of a rock star. But yeah, like, Ghostbusters is a great movie. And... This, like, you know, in the 80s, everything had to be merchandised to Hades and back. But but this this was done with love. Oh, this is. But also, like, this concept is so strong that it didn't deserve to be left as just that one movie with an underwhelming sequel. It's like the idea of, like, there's ghosts all over New York and it's these guys. These are the only ones who have figured out how to deal with it. That is such a solid concept that it it deserved to have this much of a show behind it. It's interesting revisiting my feelings for this because I was so hard in on Ghostbusters. Mm. I was on I was on weekdays every day three thirty. I get this kick of Ghostbusters, and they took did so many interesting things. Right, like yeah. uh, 
like the, the Norns with the the shears that control how long your life is, <laughs> and the, and like the demon that steals it. And and one episode they uh, uh, they team up with Marduk to fight Tiamat, and just like <laughs> yeah, what a great show. And then, however, that it dropped off for me, even though this show went on for years. Mm. Just the Saturday morning ones were so lame, and because they couldn't get away with the same things, right? They couldn't tell such adult occult kind of things. Mm, yeah, I guess. Yeah. That's a shame. Hmm. I wonder if this new Ghostbusters movie is going to be any good. Uh, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess that's it for this week for our, uh, our venture into spoop. Yeah. But... No more Halloween. Dust, dust, dust. Dusting my hands. Wait. That's not the case. Oh, we have we have some more spoop to scoop. <laughs> yeah, we're going to carry it over for another week looking at spooky shows. Hooray. Well, why not? Halloween in November. Let's go. Well, I figure we'll make up for it because next year we'll treat October as Rocktober. We'll just look at cartoons that rock. Yeah. And end with rock and rule. Yeah. Why not? Oh, great. OK, so that's OK. So Halloween 2022 is when we're finally going to watch rock and rule. Got it. <laughs> Um, all right. So the actual spoop that I want you to watch, Matsy, for uh, next week. Yeah. I would like you to watch the first episode of Soul Eater entitled Resonance of the Soul. Will Soul Eater become a death scythe? <laughs> okay. This is an anime, right? Yeah. All right. I will watch that. Um, what I have for you is something less anime-y, but perhaps okay. more Halloween-y. Uh, oh, okay. Beetlejuice. Okay. The Beetlejuice cartoon. I want you to watch an episode called Laugh of the Party. Laugh of the Party. By the way, you said his name twice, so. Yeah, so I'm not going to do it again. Laugh of the Party. Okay, I'll check that out. Yep. For next week, please tweet at us. Actually, I have a tweet, a real tweet that I made up. <laughs> this is from Gucci Viking 82 Goes, at Drab Swatch. I bet you don't even play video games, you fake gamer girl. Go make me a sandwich. <laughs> okay, well, well, first of all, I think he sent this to the wrong person. Mm. And, and also, I don't approve of his gatekeeping. Yeah. But thanks for listening to the show. And, you know, send in your real tweets about what you want us to review. I am at DrabSwatch on Twitter. I'm at AC Matsy on Twitter. I got a tweet from Mikuchi Viking, but I'll keep that one to myself. <laughs> Um, tell everybody about this, ep uh, this podcast, this episode or whatever, you know, just, just tell everybody about animation celery. Cause we want people to know that it exists and we want people to be able to call out in perfect harmony, the celery stalker slogan, which is you, that was a mighty tight pinch, but the wazzy woozoo has eluded the Grinch. 